Psalm 20. Psalm 20. I prayed this afternoon and uh, stayed here at the church and just really tried to uh, seek the Lord on what we would do tonight. Um, Our study in the Beatitudes, I felt it very important that as many as possibly could be uh, were in the services for when we preach those Beatitudes sermons. Uh, And on Sunday night, obviously, many, many people volunteer for our teen ministry, our children's ministry. Uh, There is a group out of our college and career uh, that are meeting and doing Financial Peace University. And so I do not want to uh, take away from their ability to be a part of those messages. So uh, just in prayerful consideration, we'll kind of move and readjust how we're doing the Authentic Christianity series. I believe that the Lord would have us wrap that up through this Beatitudes study, uh, as far as I know. And uh, we'll wait and do those on Sunday morning when we're all together. And uh, my heart tonight is for the family. It's for who's in this service now, uh, mainly adults. Very few children are here, if any. If they are, they're little, tiny, precious babies that can't hear or speak yet. Uh, but um, I want to talk especially to parents and grandparents, uh, or if you just simply love someone that is of a younger age, this message, these two messages that we'll do tonight and more than likely Wednesday night will be very important out of Psalm 20. The message title for tonight is Holy Wars, Holy Wars Before the Battle Begins. Holy Wars Before the Battle Begins. Heavenly Father, for a few minutes, it's our privilege to come back into your presence tonight. Got an evening worship service with faithful friends and family that are here to study your word yet again. God, we will never come to a point where we've had enough of your word. God, I was reminded today, our great-grandfather, the founding pastor of this church, God, his desire even as he died with cancer. God, in his final moments, how he clung to his Bible God, and that should be all of our hearts tonight, that no matter what, no matter how much time we have on this earth, that it will never be enough study. It will never be enough of your word. Father, I pray that you would put that hunger in all of us as we break bread yet again. God, I pray that you would take our bodies that are no doubt somewhat tired, our minds to be focused, God, just on your word for just a little while. Give us the strength, give us what we need to ingest your word And Father, that tonight we would leave encouraged and that our swords would be sharpened to face the battle that's facing us all. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen and amen. Let me make this statement. Christians are at war. Christians are at war. There is a real movement in modern Christianity, especially in American Christianity, Uh, that I have so many times in the past few months made reference to, but we all need to understand exactly where we are as a church and where we are as a church as it pertains to where we live in this country. Uh, But there is a idea that is festering, an idea that is getting momentum that says that Christians, especially Baptist Christians, that we should drop the talk that we should stop using uh, militaristic terms as it pertains to our faith, that we should no longer talk about being in the Lord's army, 
that we shouldn't talk about battles and blood and crosses and brutality, that we should become more couth in the way that we speak, and that there are many different ways to speak about those things that are more kind to the human ear. The problem is that's not scripture. And number two, what we have to understand is the reason that the church was born in that adversity with that language is because the church of old knew that we were in a battle. They knew that we were at war. There's a reason they used that terminology, that fighting language, is that they knew that every day of their life was exactly that. It is a war. It is a battle. It is a struggle. And it is a fight. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're here tonight or watching online, no matter who you are, if you are saved, if you are born again, then you are at war, period. If you are a Christian, then you are at war. Whether you choose to admit you're in that battle or in that war, or even if you think you are somehow excluded in participation from this war, no matter who you are and what your stance is on how uh, you are involved in the war, you are in the war. You are being attacked. It's part of who we are as Christians. Christians are in a battle. We're at war. This war that we're in, let's be very, very clear at the very beginning of this message, the war that we're in, the battle that we're in, the fight that we must take on is an internal war, an internal fight, a spiritual realm of battle. The battlefield, as mentioned in Ephesians 6, is not flesh and blood. It is not other people. You cannot load a gun and shoot at this enemy. This is a war. This is a battle that is fought in the mind and it is fought in the hearts of Christians. But ladies and gentlemen, we have to leave tonight refreshed in the idea and in the knowledge that we are at war. Now, if you have children in your home or you have grandchildren that you love, would you raise your hand all over the, the sanctuary? I want you to look at all the hands raised. May I mention this, that your children, the ones who have come to saving faith and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, your children are at war. Your babies are in a battle. And if they've not yet come to saving knowledge, if they're not yet saved and on their way to heaven, if they don't have that assurance of their salvation yet, then part of the war, part of the battle that the enemy is fighting against your children who are unsaved is that they would never hear a clear depiction and description of the gospel and that they would never be saved. That is the war that your children are facing. The ones that are saved, it's an internal struggle, an internal battle. The ones who are yet to be saved, there is a concerted effort from hell itself to keep them from hearing a clear picture of the gospel and being saved. No matter who you are or what you are, you are at war. We all have to wake up a little bit to this idea and smell the smoke of the cannon fire. It's not popular in any means of the word in 2021 for a pastor to stand in a pulpit and say that you're in a war, that you're in a battle, that it costs, that there's a price to be paid, that there is casualty, that there is pain and suffering. That is not popular understanding of scripture. It is not popular preaching, but it does not change the fact that tonight we are 
at war. I can remember being here at Trinity Baptist Church in the early 90s, attached to the Awana ministry, being in the lower level where your children are meeting tonight, and singing a song that you may be familiar with. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never shoot for the enemy, but what? But I'm in the Lord's army. You're in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. And this life that we are living on this earth is a war. It's a battle. And it's time. It is a place in history, not only in our church, but in the history of culture, in the history of where we are, that Christians be absolutely 100% sure that they're fighting this fight that they're in the battle. And it's time that once again, even on a personal level, that we all declare war against the devil, against sin and unrighteousness. We've got to get in the trenches. It's part of what is required of us and it's part of living a life for Christ that brings him glory and honor when we participate in this battle. Here's what you've got to be reminded of. I hope you're taking notes, but here's what you've got to be reminded of. Ephesians 6 breaks this down for you. You can go back verse 12 and 13. We've even preached this recently, but let me just highlight those four levels, those four levels of Satan's government that are assigned against you and your family. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. That is who the enemy is. Clearly, the Bible makes it very clear that's who the enemy is. It is not flesh and blood. It is not the most immoral man in America that is the enemy. It is who is controlling the most immoral man in America that is the enemy. That's why it is not our job to go into the world and yell and scream and fuss and fight over their unrighteousness. Rather, it is our job to be salt, to be light, to preserve that there wouldn't be any more decay, to be light that shines into the darkness so that other people can see the truth that Jesus is the way, that there's a hope and that it's through Jesus and that shines through us. But this is who the enemy is. This is who Satan has assigned to fight, to combat the church and to keep as many people, as it says in 2 Corinthians, blinded in their minds, not their eyes. This is who the enemy is. So there's a few things you need to know about this fight. This fight that we're fighting, if it's not physical, if it's not against flesh and blood, the fight firstly is a fight in prayer. You fight the fight in prayer. Prayer is an offensive weapon. Prayer is the closest thing you can get to loading an M16 with 223 green tip armor piercing rounds and shooting it at the devil. Prayer is an offensive weapon. It causes the heart and the mind and everything that God offers to the Christian. It persuades God. It's not that we're holding him against his will, but that when we go to him and we ask that his heart is moved, thus his very far reaching hand of capability intervenes through prayer. 
You fight the fight in prayer. Why does the devil have so much uh, predominance? Why is there so much uh, willingness to participate in that in our culture? Because as prayer diminishes, his power increases. He's not being attacked. The church is not countermeasuring the attack of the devil. The Bible's clear though, if you want to push back against the darkness, it's not even as much as putting up a sign or writing a letter to your congressman. Those are wonderful things. You need to do those things. But the greatest thing you can do is pray. For you to go through your advocate, Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father and say, Lord, I need you to intervene. That's an offensive weapon. You see, because Jesus has more power than Satan and his enemy. He has more power than these principalities. He has more power than the powers themselves. He has more power than the rulers of darkness of this world. And in the Bible, he said that he would hear you, that he would help you. And through prayer, you fight the battle. It's how you fight. It moves the heart of God to action. Secondly, you fight the fight in faithfulness. Part of this battle, part of this struggle, part of this war is simply showing up to your foxhole that you have been assigned to. Being faithful. I'm not talking about bondage. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about God being the priority in your life and in your family's life. I'm talking about the church having its proper place in your schedule making. Part of fighting the battle for your children is creating as many opportunities for them to be here at God's house with God's people. Part of your struggle, your battle, the way you win that is by your attendance to be here to worship together. Online church is wonderful and I thank God for the thousands of people that will watch this from all over the world. But if you're able and your body and your health is at a point where it can, do all that you can to be faithful, to be in God's house every time the doors are open. You say, well, that's not really fitting into my schedule right now. I promise you one thing, if God's not the priority, you'll pay for it somewhere. But if you want to fight the battle, if you want there to be peace in your home, if you want your children to be able to withstand the evil and the darkness of this day, not only do you have to pray, but you have to be faithful. And not only faithful to God's house, but faithful in prayer. and Faithful to read his word. Part of the issue with our churches today, there's no real understanding. There's no real dedication to the Lord and to his church. Forsake not the assembling of yourself was not a suggestion. And even more as the day approaches, as the Lord comes back, he's getting ready to come for his bride. We are in the final days. We should not look for an excuse to not be here. We should look for an excuse to be here. Every opportunity we can. Now, Obviously there's people that work. There's people who are sick in body. There are people who do not have the gas money. Listen to me. You want to thank God for your blessings tonight. There are people who do not have the gas money to be able to drive back for a Sunday night service here at Trinity Baptist Church. You say, there's there's no way. I promise you, there are people who if they could, they would be here. Thank God for your available resources to be able to put gas in your car to be here when the doors are open. The battle is fault in faithfulness. Thirdly, the battle is fault in the knowledge of scripture. The more you know about God's word, the more that it is hidden 
deep into your heart. Knowledge is power, but knowledge of scripture is power to fight a holy war. The more of God's word you consume, the more of God's word that you process, the more chance you have of staying in the fight and being who God's called you to be. Prayer, faithfulness, and knowledge that you would read God's word, ingest it, that it would be hidden in your heart. And now before us, Psalm 20, here is very briefly, I want to touch on what this is, but Psalm 20 This is a battle ceremony that takes place in the Old Testament before the battle is fought. This happens in a threefold process before the battle is fought. This is a psalm of King David. This is a psalm that would have been prayed aloud before entering battle. Now, let me explain some of this for you. Uh, In a theocracy, remember a theocracy is a system of government which a king and priest rule over the people in the name of God. Uh, These were to be considered holy wars. When God would put Israel against an adversary, they prayed for God to intervene. They prayed for God's will to be done. Thus, they could say this is a holy war because we're depending on God and his providential hand of capability to fight this battle for us. Now, many times the Israelites did not get that right. The fight, the war, the battle became because of sin, because someone disobeyed. But many a times when they were attacked, instantly their reaction was correct. And they would go to God and they would say, we need you to fight this battle. This is preparation for the battle. And tonight, as we fight a holy war, we're going to leave tonight with an understanding of what needs to happen in our lives personally before the battle begins. These are holy prayers for a holy war. And it happens as a community This would be an assembly of Israelites coming together. The priests, King David, all the children were there. Everyone in the entire city would come out for this ceremony of prayer, preparing everyone for battle because some people may not make it through the fight. And so everyone would come out and they would pray. Now remember, there is a chain of command in God's system. God is a God of order. God has the church in order. God has a system for how everything works. God is a God of order. Satan is a little G-O-D of disorder and disruption and confusion. But in this chain of command, in this theocracy in the Old Testament, at the top of that uh, list, at the top of that chain of command is the Lord, God himself. He is the commander in chief over the anointed king who's directly underneath him, in this case, David. And David's role is not only to be king, but he's a general as well. And then comes the people and the army, the soldiers. So the Lord is the commander in chief over the king who is also the general. And then comes the people and the army, the soldiers. And in Psalm 20, this is in anticipation of a military campaign in anticipation of a battle. And this is a commemoration to God and for the people preparing them for war. And they are going into battle 
knowing and understanding and asking God to be their battlefield representative. It's very important that we understand that, that they're asking God to be the deliverer. They're asking God to fight the battle and that they would simply be instruments to obey him and do what he says at the right time. Now, this is a powerful, powerful nine verses, but it's split into three ways. And tonight we have three preparations for battle, three preparations for every person in this room to begin to fight the battle. The first preparation is an offering of prayer, an offering of prayer. The first five verses in this psalm is an offering of prayer. Let's read those first five verses. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Grant thee according to thy own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. Verse number five says, we will rejoice in thy salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Notice in these verses, verse number one, he said, hear thee. In verse number one, he said, defend thee. In verse number two, he said, send thee help. Also in verse two, strengthen thee. And then we go into verse three and four and the shift back to God. It says, remember all thy offerings. King David is saying to God, God, remember the offerings which we have given. Remember the burnt sacrifices, accept them. And then in verse number four, he says, grant thee, fulfill thy counsel. David's saying, I'm going into battle. I'm going into war, but thy will be done. We'll rest in your capability and we'll rest in your will for our lives. That is a very good place to start when it comes to fighting a battle. So here you see a very personal, very personal description of what's being asked of God to help fight and win this battle. Verse number two, let me make mention of this. It says, send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee. But how? What's the qualifier of the strength? Out of Zion. Now remember this, Miss Donna, I know that you'll love this. God's presence, remember this, God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant, which David by now has recaptured and installed in a tabernacle on Mount Zion. These people are praying for the Lord himself to uphold and to sustain and support their effort. And not only to sustain and support their effort, but to sustain and support King David as king and general. But that power, that presence that's on Mount Zion right here, right now, while they're praying, while they're talking, is great power. And if you're in prayer, you're in his presence. They're wanting to have the presence of God, the peace that comes with the presence of God, go into battle with them. And if you in 2021 want to have the presence of God, to be in God's presence, you must pray. When you are in prayer, you are in his presence. 
and he will hear you and he will strengthen you and he will help you. The same God that in power and glory presided on Mount Zion in the Ark of the Covenant with all that glory and all that power in that tabernacle is the same God who loves you and hears you when you pray. And it's the same God that helped the Israelites that'll help you and your family and your wife and your husband and your children 2,020 years later in 2021, God is still in charge and capable to hear your prayer. It's the same God with the same authority and the same power and the same capability and we need to start acting like it. We're at war. God's not changed. He's not retreated. He's not a lesser God for you and for your family today than he is for these Israelites. If anything, we have the blessing of the new covenant. That the Holy Spirit of God doesn't live in one place. But the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. I don't have to go to a priest and I don't have to go to a tabernacle. I can simply be in my home and the Holy Spirit of God, the same spirit that was with those Israelites lives inside of me. And it's my qualifier for access to the throne room where God himself sits upon the throne and will intervene on my behalf. All I have to do is ask. But we're at war. We're at war. And before we go back into battle, before we recommit to stay in this fight, we need to pray and ask God for help. You know, I was thinking about Poppy. He's been on my mind a lot lately. And in comparison to what that generation lived in, where they had to pray for food. They had to pray that God would send them a squirrel on their prayer walk that maybe some potatoes would show up at the house. And the level of faithfulness and commitment that that generation had to fight the battle. I hope and pray that God never has to make us hungry again for us to commit to be in this fight. What is it going to take for us to wake up and realize that we're in the fight of our lives? Could it be that we go to our bank accounts and our money's been devalued and your $25,000 is now worth $250? Do you have to look at your babies who are hungry because there is no food in the home? Is that what it's going to take? I pray to God not. We are in a battle. We're in the fight of our lives. Verse number five, read what it says. It says, we will rejoice in thy salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. He said, when salvation comes. Now here he's talking about deliverance. He is not talking about soul salvation. He's saying when deliverance comes, When it happens, we will worship you. When God does give me victory, I will worship him. And when God gives you victory in your personal battle, understand that the battle that you are fighting is against your flesh. 
It's against the spiritual. It's against the nature of man. The flesh that we're all born in and that we still have to this day. This battle that we're facing today. It's so important that you understand that no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you're saved, you're sanctified, but you're still waiting for glorification. And your body, your flesh, your intentions, your motivations, that is the battle. It's me. So number one, before the battle begins, an offering of prayer. Asking God to give us salvation, deliverance from this battle. The second is confirmation of confidence. The second part of this ceremony is confirmation of confidence. Look what it says in verse number six through eight. Now now know that I, the Lord, saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven and with the saving strength of his right hand. Verse number seven says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Verse number six is talking about David, his anointed 1 Samuel chapter 16, when David is called out by Samuel, David, thou art the man, the anointing that came. It wasn't any of other Jesse's sons. It was David who came out of the field that Samuel said that God wanted and they anointed him there. This is the reference that they're making. But the point is that there was a relationship between King David and a relationship between King David and his God. God called him a man after his own heart. There was a relationship. And you can have confidence in your prayer moving the heart of God with his strong, capable hand to follow in divine intervention because of the relationship that God maintains with his children. The fact that he does hear you. The fact that you do have access to the throne room of heaven. That is your qualifier. That is your entry. That is the relationship that you have with your God. Verse number six says, Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. And God is compassionate towards his children. He's moved by their tears. He's moved by their broken heart and he is moved by their prayers. And you can be confident with your Lord. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. God hears you. God answers And you can be confident in your win in this battle because God simply hears you. Verse number seven, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of our Lord God. Our confidence to win 
over sin, over temptation, over the pride of the life, over lust of flesh. Our confidence to win is found in God. My confidence to win this battle that I am fighting every single day is not in the fact that I'm a Baptist. I love being a Baptist. I will be Baptist to the day I die. This church will have Baptists on its sign and on its bulletin and on this website as long as I'm its pastor. Don't get me wrong. I love being a Baptist. I love how we're connected straight back to Christ. Listen now, it's special And our forefathers were burned alive and tortured and killed for us to be Baptists. I will not take it off the sign. It's special. But that is not my confidence to win the fight that I'm fighting. My confidence is not in the fact that I belong even to Trinity Baptist Church. My confidence is in what and who God is. And you can be confident that God himself will fight this battle. In verse number 8. I love this part. The enemy, look what happens to them. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. And one day, those principalities, those powers, all those rulers of darkness, and Satan himself will be judged for all eternity when a holy, righteous God puts them where they belong, never to torment the child of God ever again. And we'll be home safe in heaven, never to sin again, never to be tempted again, never to fight the fight anymore, never, ever, ever again, because we'll be home in glory, worshiping him around the throne for all of eternity while Satan and his crowd are being judged forever. We win in the end. We win. And one day, Satan will pay for every time he harmed a hair on your head. Your daddy is going to judge him. He's going to make everything that was wrong right. And he'll pay. I'm thankful that heaven is a land of no more. There's a lot of things that heaven is, but there's a lot of things that will not be inside those walls. No more temptation or sorrow. No more funeral homes, no CVS pharmacy, no cancer centers. It won't be there. And it should be motivation for us to stay in the fight. Don't lose sight of what's coming. Don't forget where your passport is issued by. It's issued by heaven with no expiration date. And one day we'll be home with the ultimate victory. And I'll sit at the table as a victor as a conqueror with Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for that truth. Thirdly and lastly, he had an offering of prayer, the confirmation of our confidence that because God is who he is and we are his children, we can be confident in this fight, the victory that's coming. And then third and last, reaffirming our dependence on God. Look how he ends this psalm. Save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we call. Another way of saying this is, Lord, grant victory to the king and answer us when we call on you. In authority and in confidence, with all meekness of spirit, 
he says with boldness, God, hear me, answer me, and intervene. And in this battle that you're fighting daily, the war against your flesh, the war against the enemy, you must be dependent on God. If you're going to be victorious in this holy war, your dependence on God is vital. It's the only way you're going to win. God has to give the victory and God has to fight the battle. That's why prayer is essential. The truth is, I'm in, the, I'm in this war, I'm in this fight. And I'm at this place as even a safe person where the battle is against my flesh. It'll be that way till I get home. Till I'm home safe in heaven, that will be the battle, that will be the fight. And what you've got to understand is that there is an enemy. There is an adversary. That even though you are being faithful to God to the best of your ability, this person is working in the background as a double agent to bring down the ship. This double agent is conniving. This double agent is filthy. Really, he's a low down dog. And if he could, he'd embarrass me. He'd embarrass my wife, Brother James. He would destroy my ministry. He would rob me of all joy. He would take my confidence with God and he would separate me from my church family. This agent of destruction would wreck my marriage and leave me fractured for the rest of of my days on this earth. And worst of all, his actions would bring strife to my relationship with God. You say, my goodness, who is this double agent? How do we identify him? Who is this low down scoundrel? Where is he? We need to do something. We need to contain him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at him. I am the double agent. The Bible's very clear that the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. And the war that's being fought daily in the lives of Christians, no matter how long they've been saved, is the same age old problem. It's the person you see when you look in the mirror. The double agent is your flesh. It's your fleshly desire. And the double agent who is working so hard against the regenerated man must be put to death. He's a traitor. There needs to be an execution. He needs to be arrested. And he needs to be put to death. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, in light of who Christ is, I die daily. The war, the battle is a daily war, a daily struggle, and the double agent must 
be executed. It's our flesh. It's what makes us happy in the places we should not be happy. It's what satisfies us in a way that it should not satisfy us. It's anything in our life that robs us of God's glory and his requirement for his people. That is the battle. The battle is not the Democratic Party. Hear me. The battle is not even against George Soros. It's not against any foundation or amount of money that's coming for America. They are being controlled and manipulated by the enemy. And now it is our job as Christians in light of this information and knowledge to get on our knees and fight the battle. Prayerless Christians lead to open attack. Church, what we need tonight is for all of us to ask God to give us a fresh burden for prayer. You can't fight this battle. You can't stay where you need to be unless you are praying. I'm not talking about, Lord, thank you for my food. God, thank you for what you did in my house today. Amen. I'm talking about time alone with your God who is capable to change everything. He can still manipulate minds. He can still manipulate hearts. The problem is we're not asking him to. The greatest defense your home has is prayer. That someone would carry the prayer burden in your home. That someone would lead the home in prayer and study of scripture. That there would be a standard in the home. A morality that reflects who Jesus is. That as Christ asked of us to show that we love him, that we would obey his commandments. That's how we fight the battle. That's the beginning of this process. This past week, I had the opportunity to go to Myrtle, Mississippi. Who in here has ever heard of Camp Zion in Myrtle, Mississippi? Wow, a lot more than I realized. Camp Zion in Myrtle, Mississippi was pastored by a man named uh, Percy Ray, Dr. Percy Ray. An incredible man that God used in the 30s and 40s, the 50s, really in the 60s, things took off at that camp in Mississippi to really change, to shape America. So many ministries, names that I could mention that would blow your mind are attached to this camp and to this pastor who so loved America and loved God. Dr. Ray, when he was younger, had the opportunity to be a Hollywood star. He was given an offer to play in a Hollywood movie. It would be the equivalent of a six or $700,000 contract today. God had called him to preach. He turned down that money, turned down that contract, and his family turned on him. They couldn't believe he would turn down that opportunity. It would have brought their entire family out of the Great Depression. But he knew that God had called him to preach. He went to pray. God said, no, that won't do. I want you to do what I called you to do. Get in the fight. Preach the word. His family asks him to leave and he starts walking. Upset, broken hearted. He didn't know where he was going or where he was going to turn. He winds up in the woods 
praying out loud, seeking God's face. And then he began to preach to the trees. God said to preach, there wasn't an audience, but he was going to be faithful. He was going to obey. And he began to preach to the trees. On the other side of that row of trees was a farmer and his wife. And all they heard was a voice. They got closer. Then they could hear the words. They got closer and somebody was preaching in the woods. That couple heard that man. They heard the message he was preaching. The husband and the wife both got saved that day in the woods because of his faithfulness, him preaching. They built him a room, an addition on their home. They fed him, they clothed him, and they built a church for him to preach in in Tennessee. And for years, that's where he was, building his ministry, learning the ropes. God said to preach, he was obedient, and he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He comes back later. Who's ever heard of Estes Perkle? Who knows that name? One of a, one of a kind preachers. Estes Perkle had a beautiful daughter. Dr. Ray fell in love with her. She was in love with him. They were to be married. They began to pray and ask God to show them what they needed to do. God told them both very clearly. I don't want you to be married. There's too much work to be done. Too much laboring. You'll need to go your separate ways. And he did. He was faithful. He obeyed God. For seven days he laid on the floor before God broken and asked him to take that love for Estes Perkle's daughter out of his heart. And he did. Because he wanted to be in the fight. These are the 30s and the 40s. Fast forward to 1986. It's in July. Camp Zion's rolling. Things are going incredible. There's 5,500 people in the old tabernacle on that property. A young evangelist has come to town and he's messed up his schedule. A preacher had booked him and messed up how things were supposed to be and one thing led to another. And this young evangelist who had messed up his schedule got introduced to Dr. Percy Ray. And when this young evangelist shook Dr. Ray's hand, Dr. Ray looked at this young evangelist and said, get ready to preach. You're going to preach. Young evangelist got up and preached one of the most powerful messages preached in this generation called Will Thou Not Revive Us Again? That young evangelist got done preaching. Dr. Ray, who so believed in the power of prayer, took that young evangelist and wrapped him up in a quilt that had a map of the United States of America. Each state besides the District of Columbia had a star where someone from Camp Zion had touched that ground to pray and to preach and to seek God for revival for America. And for years, for decades, he had prayed that God would let him reach all 50 states in the District of Columbia. He wrapped up that young evangelist in that quilt with the map of the United States as a symbolic gesture to God that we believe that you're able, that you're capable, that you're going to fight this battle. And him and a lady named Dootsie Reynolds, a prayer warrior of great statue, prayed over this young evangelist who had just got done preaching the house down. That young evangelist is your pastor emeritus, Pastor Ralph Sexton, Jr., one year later, a tent went up on the mall in Washington, D.C., right next to the Washington Monument, and God fought the battle and won the war. And the gospel was preached in our nation's capital. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, you don't know what your prayer life may be holding the key to. You could be the key to Trinity Baptist Church becoming a global influence for the next 100 years. 
But you got to get in the fight. Quit asking other people to carry the burden and carry the burden yourself in prayer. We must be a church committed to prayer, committed to living holy and committed to faithfulness to God that it becomes about more than the comfortability of my flesh and that we would get holy before God and beg him to intervene. Because if we're going to survive the darkness of this day, we're going to have to die daily to ourselves and ask God for great things, for big things, not only for this church, but for your family and for the generations to come. It's a holy war and it's time to get in the battle. Let's open up these altars. It's time to pray. Trinity, let's get in the altar and let's pray. You say, I've never been in the altar. This is your first time tonight. Let's get in these altars. Let's pray. You say, I don't know how to pray. Bring your Bible with you. Turn to a psalm and pray the psalm. If you're not comfortable being in these altars, these front rows are open. You come and pray. If you're watching online and you're in the E-Church, this is our time to fight the battle. E-Church, I want you to join me. Whether you're at home, in a hospital bed, in a nursing home, I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God to help you get in the battle tonight. That we would fight our flesh and be exactly who God wants us to be. Let's pray. Spend a few minutes with God. Seek his face. And let's get in the battle.